that 100 million people suffer from chronic pain? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the relationship doctor. My co-host, Chris Weigel, has the weekend off. But I've got a special guest in the studio, and I'm so happy to welcome my co-author of our latest book, Living Beyond Pain, Dr. James Cribbs. We're going to be talking about that new book. We're going to give you tips and tools and practical things that you can take away. So, Dr. Cribbs, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's just very exciting. Our new book is out on chronic pain. I'm very excited. We waited and waited and waited. Yes. (laughs) Should we tell them what we did every morning at 5 (laughs) a.m.? Well, we work in the same place, and so right. we came in and we, we whiteboarded a lot of our ideas and our thoughts about this book, and, and we did this for about 10 months, and we put together our book on pain that we hope is going to help a lot of people. Yeah, we did it at 5 a.m. most of the time. Yes. <laughs> so coffee in hand. Yes. So the book is entitled Living Beyond Pain, and it's published by Baker Books. You can go to Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, and you can go to my website, DrLindaMintel.com, and you'll see the banner there, and you can order your copy now. But before we get into the book, I want people to know who you are, Dr. Cribbs. Dr. James Cribbs is a DO, and we're going to talk about that in the second segment. He's a practicing physician and a graduate of, okay, I have to say it, Michigan State University. Go green. As I'm sitting here wearing my University of Michigan shirt. (laughs) But there he earned his bachelor's degree in economics and also a doctor of osteopathic medicine degree. He's board certified in neuromuscular skeletal medicine with a subspecialty in pain management. He has focused on osteopathic manipulative medicine, manual sports medicine, medical orthopedics, and interventional pain management. He's also served on the academic faculties of two medical schools and is involved nationally in advancing osteopathic medicine curriculum initiatives. And when you find out about what he can do with his hands... In terms of manipulation, you're going to want to look for a DO who can do this. He lives in Virginia with his wife, Jennifer, and their four kids, and he's a friend. Linda, I'm so thankful that we get to work together, and and you're a very dear friend to me. Well, let's just start by talking about why we wrote this book. Well, we worked together, and so one of the things that came about was that we started talking about pain and how we approach our patients and our and our clients. and. One of the things that we found is that we had a lot in common with our approach to patient and our thoughts about pain and and the current opioid crisis. And so we started to whiteboard a lot of things and and a lot of thoughts, and it came together as a book, and um, we're really happy about it. You know, one of the things that you and I talked about, we've been going to a number of addiction conferences, and Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, the opioid crisis is just huge in this country. It's been called an epidemic. We certainly have seen it as an epidemic with 19-year-olds dying from overdoses and not the typical way that people think of addicts. A lot of people that start with prescription pain medication find themselves then using other illicit medications because of the expense and because of the changes in regulations. But the opioid crisis, because of that, you and I were talking about it. We were saying, hey, if they're going to start regulating prescribers... And you're a prescriber as a physician. Yes. Because of there has been some overprescribing, and we also know there have been some issues with big pharma and the way pain was managed. But as we were looking at this, we thought, you know, one of the groups that's going to get caught in this is going to be the people with chronic pain. And that is one of the difficulties that we have with for patients who uh, have had chronic pain for a long time. 
And because of the tightening of pain medicine and the way that medicine's prescribed, they're finding they're having difficulty getting the things that they need to cover their pain. And so that was one of the things that we try to address in the book is making sure that we understand, you know, what's the appropriate use for opioid medication? When do we use it? It is not always inappropriate. It, oftentimes it is appropriate for pain medicine. Talk about that because I think that's very important because some people I've talked to said you can never get opioids now. It's not something that doctors prescribe. So one of the things that you do beautifully in the book is there's a chapter where you talk about when it's appropriate and how it's being used appropriately. Opioid medication, it's important to understand that, that not every person who uses opioid medications is an addict or is going to become addicted. But the threat is real. In fact, there is a certain amount of patients who have a genetic predisposition to having an opioid addiction. So we're very mindful of that now. We weren't as aware of that 20 years ago, but we are aware of it now. So there's a few things that we can do to, to really learn to identify patients who might have more of a predisposition for becoming addicted to pain medicine. The important thing is to remember, and it's also important for physicians to remember, is that not every patient who uses opioid medication is an addict. Um, they have pain, it's real, and they're trying to manage their lives and live their lives the best that they can. And one of the things that you and I talked about is that there are times when narcotics are appropriate, but there are a lot of times with chronic pain where there are other alternatives that you can use that doesn't involve a medication. And you as a physician have a number of things that you use, and we're going to talk about what some of those yes. alternatives are. But we want to make it really clear that if your physician says that the opioid is okay, you're being monitored, it's been approved by your physician, you're being followed very carefully, and it's effective. But one of the things that you and I know is that there are times when the opioids are not effective for chronic pain. That's true. And, and with appropriate monitoring, usually it is safe. However, it isn't appropriate for everyone. And knowing uh, some of the alternatives is very important. So we came together on that. And you as a physician who knows how to use injections and nerve blocks and a whole lot of other things for chronic pain, and me as a therapist who also then looks at pain perception, which is in the brain. And this is a very big part of why chronic pain is so difficult. So I work on the mind-body stuff. I know you do too, because you're an osteopath physician and you're a holistic physician, so you treat it all. Yes. But I came in a little heavier on the types of things that people can do to turn down the volume on their pain and have a better life of functioning and also a better quality to their life. So there's a lot that can be done. That's what we're going to talk about. Do you think that most people just want to reach for a pill? I don't think so. I think most people want to live normal lives. And I think one of the difficulties that, that I've seen uh, with patients who suffer from chronic pain is that they have an injury or they, they, they develop an arthritic area, such as a low back pain. And what happens is that that pain develops and then it persists and they aren't able to get rid of it. Most of their lives, they're used to having an injury and recovering from it. But with, in this case, with chronic pain, they haven't, and, and it is persisting. So one of the key things that you have to address as a physician or as a therapist treating someone who has chronic pain is addressing that loss of control. The pain is there. They can't get rid of it. And it's very much like I've heard it likened to a dream that they can't wake up from. Mm. You have to recognize that and approach that patient appropriately. It's important to address the, the fact that the patient may suffer from depression. They may suffer from increased anxiety. Their relationships might suffer because of the, the hardship and the decrease in margin that they have for living their lives. One of the things that I really appreciated about you when we were writing this book is that you wanted to begin the book by saying you need to be compassionate 
to people who have chronic pain. You need to be empathetic to what's going on. You need to believe them when they say that they have pain, that it isn't something that is just in their head that they're making up, that the pain is very real. Well, if you like what you're hearing, we're just getting started with Dr. Cribbs and I as we talk about our new book, Living Beyond Pain. More after a short break. Hey, it's Chris from the Dr. Linda Mental Radio Show. Dr. Linda's latest book is titled Living Beyond Pain. It gives practical tools to anyone who is living with chronic pain and wants to get his or her life back on track. Recently, Dr. Linda's listeners had questions about pain, and she answers those questions with tips from her book, Living Beyond Pain. Hey, Dr. Linda, I have a question for you. You know, when my son asks me if I am in pain, which I am almost constantly, should I tell him? I really don't want my family to worry about it. Yeah, so that's a great question. So we do talk about this in the book in terms of how should you respond. Now, obviously, Chris, we don't want to lie to our family members. Mm -hmm. So if your daughter asked you, Dad, what's going on? Are you in pain? You wouldn't say, "Eh, nothing. Right. You'd want to be truthful about it. But the point is that you want them to know that you are handling this, that you are going to stay optimistic about it, you're going to be hopeful in terms of your ability to be involved in their lives, and that there's a balance between the reality of what's going on, but also managing that pain. Sort of a side note, men don't like to talk about it as much. To your family members, you do Mm -hmm. want to say, yes, it's there, but here's what I'm doing to manage it. So make sure that you're letting them know that you're handling things, and that's probably all that kids would want to know is that, okay, dad's got this or mom's got this. Hey, thanks, Dr. Linda. If you would like a copy of Dr. Linda Mental's book, Living Beyond Pain, go to drlindamental.com or you can find Living Beyond Pain anywhere books are sold online. Mother and daughter relationships are powerful and they impact all our other relationships. Think about it. The way you react with your mom typically is the way you might react with other people. Yet this important bond can be filled with tension when both women try to find their own voice and develop a sense of self. So working through the mother-daughter relationship can be a challenge, but it is so worth the effort. Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Mintel, and I would love to help you navigate this important relationship and strengthen it to the best it can be. That's why I wrote, I love my mother, but a book to strengthen the mother-daughter relationship. We all love our mothers, but sometimes we need a little help working through our differences. I love my mother, but available on my website, drlindamintel.com, or online where books are sold. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show, and today's topic is Living Beyond Pain, my latest book that's been co-authored with Dr. James Cribbs, who is a practicing physician and is in the studio with us today. Now, as you're listening to this, you may be one of those 100 million people struggling with chronic pain, or you might know somebody, somebody in your family, one of your friends who's really suffering and really wants to get their life back together again. And this book is a book that could really help them. This is why we wrote the book. We know so many people who needed alternatives and ways to treat their pain, ways that are what we call evidence-based in medicine. All that means is that people have researched those methods and found them to be effective. So Dr. Cribbs, as we're going back, we want to tell people that we can get this book on my website, drlindamintel.com, anywhere online. 
and you can connect on social media with me as well as listening to this as a podcast. So we are on iTunes. Fantastic. And if you look up the Dr. Linda Mintel show and you find the ones living beyond pain, part one and part two, you can tell somebody about this and send the podcast to them. They can log right on and listen to it. You had a very personal reason for writing this book. Talk a little bit about that. The book came about really for me the same reason why I went to medical school. When I was growing up, if someone was hurt or was hurting or in pain, I wanted to help. After medical school and after residency, I began treating patients in a musculoskeletal practice. We were having a fair amount of success using traditional methods. But what I noticed was for, for a lot of patients who suffer from chronic pain, the issue is a lot larger than what we could provide in the office or what we could provide with a prescription or with a procedure. So much of what contributes to a patient's pain stems from what they're dealing with alongside of their pain, their emotions, their personal situation, mm -hmm. how it affected their families, all of that. So what I learned was that pain wasn't just in their head. Really, it rarely ever was. But the way that they relate to their pain was entirely in their head. And that's where the battle for chronic pain is either won or lost. If a patient is able to navigate through their pain, their emotions that are related to it, they can get a lot further if they, if they understand some of the principles that are, that are there. So people might be listening to this and thinking, he doesn't sound like my typical physician. I don't think everybody knows what a DO is. You are a physician, but you are a DO rather than an MD. Correct. Explain what the difference is of a DO from an MD. Well, doctors of osteopathic medicine represent approximately 25% of the uh, current uh, medical population. They are an emerging presence in, the, in healthcare. The training is very parallel with, with the allopathic physicians. The best way to, to explain it is not every patient that comes to see you has a medical or a surgical problem. Often they do, and we're trained to, to deal with those, but sometimes they have a structural one. And if you're not trained to deal with the structural ones, then the patient isn't going to be fully treated. In addition to traditional surgical and medical uh, training, we also get training with how to use our hands and how to, to make corrections in the body with our hands. What I see you doing is attending to the patient from a muscular skeletal perspective almost. You're doing structural changes with your hands. And that is something called osteopathic manipulation treatment. Correct. So that is one of the alternatives that you talk about in the book. Explain what that is. With this, what we're doing is we're looking at where the patient's structure might be causing their pain. And then what does that mean? So if I'm hunched over, yeah. could that be an issue in my pain? Well, for instance, if someone has a lot of uneven pressure on the, the joints between their spine, then they're going to have pain. And so trying to normalize that, trying to even out the gravitational loads on the vertebrae can help uh, reduce the pain in the vertebrae. So you're literally putting your hands on that part of the body and you're manipulating that part of the body? Yeah. So we're working with bones. We work with muscle length. Mm. Uh, sometimes tight muscles can make a back restricted. Things that are stuck don't feel good. And so uh, we try to make sure that uh, the patient has free range of motion. We work on mechanics a lot, the body mechanics. But not only that, we also work on decompressing nerves that might be contributing to mm. it, increasing lymphatic flow uh, so that the inflammation doesn't uh, stay stagnant around the painful area and making sure that the patient just has movement. Movement is life. And if a patient isn't able to move very well, they're not going to feel good. And so that's one of the things that we focus on in addition to traditional medicine. I remember a few months ago, I had done something where I had injured my shoulder area and I had raised up my hand, something, I don't know, I think might've done it in my sleep. When you're my age, you can injure yourself in your sleep, it appears. And I had a lot of pain and I had very limited range of motion. I couldn't lift my arm up. And I came to you in the clinic 
and you did an injection. So you were looking, I think, for the source of pain. But I was so impressed by what you did. So tell them what you did in terms of that pain experience that I had. So what you had was an impingement syndrome of the shoulder. and You had limited range of motion, and it was compressing an area that caused inflammation. So we interrupted the pain cycle that you had by uh, injecting lidocaine and a steroid in there, and that was what really halted that painful process. But it was more than that. In addition to the injection, we also increased the range of motion through manipulation. We made sure that your shoulder had freedom of motion, and that would allow the normal mechanics to be restored and, and prevent it from happening again. So you wouldn't go through a cycle of having to have a shoulder injection every three to four months. And I remember just a few weeks after that happened, I had full range of motion again, no medications. You fixed it. I don't think a lot of people know about OMT, and that is unique to the osteopathic profession. Mm -hmm. uh, some people have come up to me and said, oh, isn't it like chiropractic? What's the difference? Some of the manipulations are similar, to be sure, but not all of them are. And one of the major differences between an osteopathic physician and a chiropractic physician is that a, an osteopathic physician is able to make a medical diagnosis and manage a person with medicine, surgery, manipulation, exercise prescription, and also make referrals appropriately. I want to reiterate that this is, doesn't mean that chiropractic profession is a lesser profession they are excellent, and they do a great job and, and provide a tremendous value to the, the public treating chronic pain. But osteopathic medicine is a little bit different. Uh, one of the major differences is, is that osteopathic physicians go through four years of medical school. They go through residency, much like an allopathic physician, an MD physician, uh, and they also have training in manipulation. We love our interprofessional colleagues. Yes. So I'm one of them. Yes. So I'm not a physician, but I'm one of the people on the team. Mm -hmm. So chiropractors, uh, dietitians, exercise physiologists, all of those people are part mm -hmm. of the pain management treatment. Uh, Absolutely. So it takes a village, as we say, right? It takes yes. a village to, yes. to really treat this well. Yes. Well, as we, we were talking in the first segment, I wanted to go back to this important point about opioid addiction. And I want to focus just a few moments on that because there might be somebody listening right now who's thinking they raised that issue about me possibly being addicted to those narcotics that I've been taking. What are some of the signs of opioid addiction that a person can look for, Dr. Cribbs? If you're concerned about being addicted, some of the signs are an inability to control the opioid use. Does that mean that I might be thinking in my head, I don't want to take this pill? But I feel like I have to. It means that you're you're taking it sometimes when you don't have pain. It means that you're you're reaching for it maybe a little bit earlier than you're supposed to. You're running out of medication prior to the time that the, your prescription is up. Those are some of the obvious signs. Are you craving the drug? Cravings, drowsiness, weight loss, flu-like symptoms. Mm -hmm. uh, when you don't have the medication, those are all some of the signs that you might be developing an opioid use disorder. And one of the key points that happens with people is that you move from use to compulsive use. Despite the negative consequences that come with that, you continue to do it. That's where it feels so out of control for people. When you talk to people who are addicted, they say, I know I don't want to use this and I know it gets me in trouble. And I know I'm taking my friend's medication, which I shouldn't be doing, and I'm using it anyway, but it feels compulsive to me. And that's a reality of what happens in the brain. It does move because the brain does rewire it and does. it changes in structure. And you do have this compulsive need to get the drug. Also remember, you might be taking the medication to avoid feeling sick. 
A lot of times patients will report that they feel like they have the flu when they don't have their medication. And so they've become desperate to get the medication. And so they're trying to avoid not feeling well. That's like withdrawal. That's beginning to withdraw from the medicine. And then the brain says, no, 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 we need more of that. Go find it. Go get it. And the important thing is to remember that addiction isn't a moral failure. Yes. Addiction is is a disease in the brain where uh, you're operating from different centers of your brain and you're not operating out of the area of the brain that makes good choices sometimes. For people who have family members who are addicted, it's important to remember that they're not making choices from the same areas that we are. And so what might seem illogical to us sometimes is just a matter of them trying to survive and trying to avoid feeling badly. So one of the things that I notice is that it's like the brain locks on and you just go for that drug no matter what's going on around you. And that's the frustrating part to families. Yes. When we come back, we have to take a short break. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about how the church views addiction and how we need to be responding to this from a spiritual point of view. More on the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Dr. Linda, one of our listeners asked this question. Sometimes I'm so overcome with worry and anxiety that I I think I'm losing my mind. Seems I've tried everything from drugs to meditation. Why doesn't anything work? Well, I'm so sorry that your life seems so unmanageable and overwhelming. Too often, though, it does seem nearly impossible to live in peace and contentment because of all the craziness in our world. Did you know that God's plan for handling worry is so simple and yet so perfect that you can begin using it today? Did you know that starting right now, you can begin to cultivate a worry-free life? These aren't pie-in-the-sky promises. They're God's prescription for you to thrive and to soar past your anxiety and worries. Try this. The next time you begin to feel overwhelmed by life's pressures and worry clouds your mind with negative thoughts and depression, say what King David prayed. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Remind yourself that my heart trusts in Him and I am helped. I have so much more good news for you. I hope you'll find it in my book, Letting Go of Worry. Thanks, Dr. Linda. Now that's great advice. You can find God's plan for your peace and contentment in Dr. Linda's book, Letting Go of Worry. It's available wherever you buy your books online. You're listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and today's show is about our new book, Living Beyond Pain. This is a book that I wrote with Dr. James Cribbs, who's a physician, a DO. You can find the link to the book on my website, drlindamental.com, or on any online site like Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. And we're just excited that Dr. Cribbs is in studio with us. We had a, I was going to say, we had a great time writing this book. It was an exhausting time writing this book because we were meeting in the early hours of the morning before work. Yeah, it was fun too. It but was. It's, it's great. It's been yes. so great to be able to offer now all the help that we put in that book. Again, if you have somebody who is dealing with chronic pain, who wants to have a better quality of life, who wants to function better in their life, needs a little bit of help dealing with that pain, please get them a copy of Living Beyond Pain. As we're talking at the end here of the show, I want to go into something that you said in the last segment. You made a point to say that having an addiction is not a moral failure. How do you think the church generally responds to addiction? At times, we can have a, a judgmental view toward people who suffer from addiction. When a person suffers from addiction, they're operating from some of the lower portions of your brain that's more based on dopamine response and pleasure centers. 
And that's opposed to the frontal part of the brain where we make good decisions. So the frontal part of the brain is where we have judgment, where we make judgment, where we make our decisions and, and have a construct where we make good choices. But when we're operating from the lower parts of our brain, this is really more of a survival area. And mm -hmm. so people make choices that they feel they need to do in order to survive. So that seems sometimes ir irrational. So there's a danger part of your brain. Your brain is going danger, danger. I need more of that good feeling. Yes. Get that good feeling going in me and forget the judgment. You know, you get real impulsive when you're like that. I just have to have it. I have to have that drug. And I'm not going to think it through at this point because that part of my brain is saying, go get it. And that's compounded when a person has fear of having pain. They don't want to have pain. They want to avoid having pain if, if they're dependent on that medication then those two problems work synergistically, and then it's a, it's a spiral. I wish we could help every church take away that stigma of addiction because it's very difficult when you're somebody in the church, you love the Lord, you've given your heart to Jesus, and you're saying, I'm struggling with this, I might be addicted, I'm not sure, but boy, I don't think I want to tell anybody in the church because they're going to think that I'm a bad person or that I'm a moral failure or that I just can't get my life together. And so what can we do to help pastors, to help people in the congregation be more accepting and more aware of not stigmatizing people right. with addiction? Because the shame really prevents people from getting the help they need. Say more about shame. Well, often when uh, a patient has a problem, they will have a countenance of shame in their, and they have their head down. They have difficulty engaging in conversation. They have trouble looking at people in the eye. And they just feel kind of badly about their situation, but powerless to make changes for it. And so one of the things that the church could really do is, is try to eliminate the shaming that occurs with addiction and recognize that there are a lot of resources out there to help someone have victory over addiction in their lives. I was just thinking when you were saying that about Adam and Eve in the garden, how they felt shame and they covered up and they tried to hide. And I wonder how many people with chronic pain are feeling that same thing and feel like the church isn't a safe place. I need to hide from them. But we're saying shame is not from the Lord, right? Correct. That's not something from God. That's something that we want you to put off and begin to walk in the way that God has designed you to be. And not just for people who suffer from addiction, but also from chronic pain, because people who suffer from chronic pain, they aren't able to do the things that they might normally want to do for their family. And they also may be feeling that their relationships are suffering because of that. And chronic pain often goes unrecognized because it's not as obvious for people to, to see that. When someone is ill or if they're sick, it's pretty clear. But when someone's simply suffering through chronic pain, then that often doesn't get recognized and people may not recognize just how much effort it takes just to get through to daily lives. To your point, we had a woman in our Bible study, uh, this was years ago, and she had chronic pain. And one of the things that was frustrating for the Bible study group was she wasn't dependable because she would be in so much pain. She would call at the last minute and say, I can't come. I can't show up. We actually talk about this in a chapter in the book that we who are not in chronic pain need to be much more mindful of people who are struggling to get out of bed. The pain is so great that day they can't. Yeah. We need to give them a lot of grace. Because their margins are significantly reduced. Mm. When your margins and your thresholds are lowered, it takes a lot more effort to do normal things in life. So grace, remove the stigma, have the church have some open arms. You and I felt that there was a moral and a, a practical imperative to really talk about chronic pain and help people through it. Well, this is just part one of chronic pain. We're going to have another show. Look for that on iTunes as well on the very specific things that people can do to really combat pain. But thank you so much, Dr. Cribbs, for helping us understand it better me. and for um, getting just a much more comprehensive view of what chronic pain involves. 
Well, that's all the time we have for today. Many thanks to our producer, Norm Mental, our engineer, Chris Weigel, and my special guest, Dr. James Cribbs, who made the show a conversation. From all of us here at Faith Radio, we'll talk to you next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're here, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Well, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These podcasts are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and helping us grow the impact of the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Also, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player, and you'll never miss a show.